Santos. An absolute pleasure to be joined on the Midwest Swing Podcast right now as we talk all things Midwest League. Can't help but look at the schedule for the next couple of weeks and see nothing but MLB Draft, MLB All-Star Game, MLB Futures Game, Home Run Derby. There's a lot on the docket over the next couple of weeks. And one guy that I really respect and a lot of people respect when it comes to covering the game of baseball and especially draft and prospects. There's no look no further. And we will be joined by Jonathan Mayo as well in a couple of weeks to recap the draft. But we are looking ahead right now to preview the MLB Draft by the one and only expert Sam Dykstra from MLB com sam you demand thanks for coming on yeah thanks so much for having me really looking forward to this absolutely so i want to go ahead and start things off um before we even get into it i want you to plug your podcast because i really respect your work man you do a lot of different things but i wanted you to start by plugging your podcast oh yeah no thanks for for let me do that yeah I, i co host the show before the show uh the official podcast of minor league baseball along with Benjamin Hill and Tyler Mond, my fellow co-hosts. Every week we're talking about everything minor league baseball, from promotions to you know, top prospects to what's going on on the field, what's going on off the field. It's, it's really comprehensive in that way. It, we have a lot of fun each week, and it's something we do year-round. There's always something to talk about in minor league baseball. This is definitely one of our busier times, but that, that makes it more fun. Yeah, absolutely. If you are interested in checking out, you know, all things minor league baseball and a little bit extensive, obviously, past just the Midwest League, um, obviously, definitely check out the show before the show podcast hosted by Sam Dykstra. And of course, I wanted to talk about this, too, before we got into it. You had a busy day yesterday. Talk about what you were up to yesterday. Yeah, yesterday was a fun day. Yesterday I was at the MLB Draft League uh, prospect game, which is basically a showcase for a lot of these guys were hoping to get drafted over the weekend for anybody who doesn't know what the MLB draft league is. Uh, it's a lot of former minor league towns uh, who, when the minor leagues got limited to 120 teams, they now have su- summer collegiate baseball teams. Not everybody in who plays in them goes to college, but a lot of them do. Uh, and it's for mostly juniors and seniors guys who could get drafted. There were a few high school guys there as well. Uh, what I was watching yesterday in Trenton and also passing along with Tim McMaster and Dylan Batances, uh, was the prospect game in which it was the last showcase for a lot of these guys, an opportunity to show off their skills in front of scouts, in front of evaluators, hoping to go somewhere in the 20 rounds in the draft uh, coming up next week. So it, it was a lot of fun to see those guys put on that stage and make you know their final cases because the second half of the draft league is a pro league, essentially. They were independent, independent ball. It's not really affiliated with guys who could get called up to the next level, but mm-hmm. – you know, a new roster comes in. So for all those guys, it was last looks before the draft. So a lot of guys tried to put their best foot forward. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. So before we look at your prospect list for the 2023 MLB first player, first year player draft, I want to kind of, I guess, I don't, I don't think this is a stupid question, but like kind of, and I say that because like, there's so many prospects like, and you focus on not only the draft prospects and all these guys that are coming in. So not only high school players, college players, but you also focus on current minor league players and all those guys. So, like, man, how do you approach covering all these different guys? That's a lot of players. It is a lot of players. I will say, uh, you mentioned Jonathan Mayo before. Him and Jim Callis lead our draft coverage a lot. I, I contributed to it. I'm going to be running our, you know, day two and day three uh, mm-hmm. live blogs next week, breaking down picks and all that kind of stuff. Most of what I do is the minor leagues. And again, the minor leagues are 120 teams. I mean, it's a lot of players, a lot of things to keep track of. Uh, I'm in charge of doing the top 30 lists for 10 different organizations. 
Um, so I'm keeping track, reaching out to farm directors, reaching out to scouts, watching games myself. I mean, I'm uh, every day I'm trying to watch a minor league game or check in on highlights, see how guys are doing. Uh, it keeps your head spinning, but it, it's so much fun and so rewarding. That's the best thing about this is getting to say you knew a guy when and you followed a guy from when he was drafted or even beforehand to when they make their major league debut. We're there every stop of the way up until they make the majors, and it's just so rewarding to see some of these guys. I was talking to a colleague last night, Kelsey Hennigan, after the uh, home run derby was announced and the field was announced, and it's this weird feeling now where we've been in this job long enough, where we've covered all of those guys who are legit superstars Wow! in the minor leagues in some way. Um, we always thought they had power. You know, we always thought, thought this day might come. But to, to know that these are guys we covered in A-ball or even before that is really something special and the best part of this job. Yeah, and I guess to take a, I guess a negative look at it, it also means we're getting older, Sam. Yeah, that's, that, that was the way she put it. I put the positive spin on it. But, yeah, that's definitely where she was coming from. It's like, man, we've hit that spot now, huh? I'm like, yeah, and it's only going to get worse. That's the, that's the tough part. Didn't want to play devil's advocate on that, but I had to throw that in there because <laughs> no, you know, I, looking I at these it. guys you know, at the top of the board right now, and I want to focus on some of the prospects at the top of the board. I'm assuming both the, both the LSU guys are going one and two. Um, with Dylan Cruz and Paul Skeens. But, like, after that, I believe, you know, that it's a little bit wide open. So who are some guys that are at the top of your board? How do you think the top ten is going to play out? Yeah, I mean, I I think that decision for the Pirates at number one is still such a fascinating one uh, because, yeah, it feels like right now it's between Skeens and Cruz, but Wyatt Langford is still very much in that conversation, it, it seems like, from the outside. Uh, and Walker Jenkins, Max Clark, the two top high school bats, make up that top five. And everybody I talk to, everything I read is that there's a clear-cut top five here. Uh, and Jim and Jonathan were even saying on their podcast this week, the Pipeline podcast, they would be immensely surprised if it's anybody but those five at the number one spot. But, you know, the Pirates did this before. I mean, two years ago, they drafted Henry Davis, who was not a clear-cut number one prospect yeah. in the draft. They use some savings on that to make some picks down the line and, and sign guys to bigger bonuses. They could easily do that again this year. I mean, would Wyatt Langford be willing to take a little less money to go to the Pirates first overall and kind of surprise the industry? It could happen. It, it, we don't know yet. The Pirates have not come out and said, hey, we're picking between two guys. They, they're keeping it a little secret right now. So I love that. I love that we don't know. I love that this is not the NBA draft necessarily. We're you know, the Spurs, everybody knew they were taking Wen Bayama. That was a given. There's still some secrecy here. There's still some stuff in the dark, and that should make watching Sunday a lot of fun to follow. And, like, what happens if that if that goes down, right? Like, what if the Pirates yeah. don't take Skeens or Cruz? What do the Nats do? Because everything I've heard, <laughs> this, is, this is true. Like, the Nats are between those two guys, the two LSU stars. It's between Skeens and Cruz. Whoever falls to them, they're taking the guy available. But what if they're both available? If I were wow. them, I would take Cruz myself just because the everyday position player. Like, Skeens is a rare breed, and he might be the best pitching prospect in the draft since Steven Strasburg. I get that. Guy touches triple digits, the sliders plus plus. It's really good stuff. There's just that risk of a pitcher. I mean, the way guys break down now, we don't see that as much with position players. I would take the sure thing, especially if you're the Nats and very much in a rebuild right now. Um, but I, I'd be fascinated to see that decision. So it, this is not one of those situations where we know everything. We Everybody's going to slot into a certain spot. There's still some very big question marks heading into Sunday. 
Yeah, definitely can't go wrong with either Skeens or Cruz at the top. I mean, Skeens especially. I mean, it all comes down to what you need more. I mean, do you you want a top of the line, you know, top of the rotation guy that's, I mean, 16.6 per, per nine inning strikeout rate is pretty solid. Um, it's all, It was almost yeah. a Division One record, so um, definitely looking forward to that. But at number three, looking, looking past the top two spots, at number three, you got the Detroit Tigers, which are, as you said, in a – Interesting position, um, you know, and that's the West Michigan Whitecaps. Um, that's their um, farm system that they're going to be drafting into. So what do you think the Tigers' opportunity and what do you think their options are at three? Yeah, I mean, if it, if it, things go as we expect with the two LSU stars first and second, I think the Tigers go Lankford at number three. Uh, the Tigers have been in this kind of sort of rebuild for a while now, and obviously Spencer Torkelson hasn't worked out the way they've Hoped Riley Green has turned a nice corner this season, but has been hurt. He's kind of coming back now. He's been rehabbing in Toledo. But they're not an organization that it should be in a spot now that they would look towards the high school bats and go on the long road. If White Langford's available, he could easily be in West Michigan this season. Uh, wow. And I would kind of ticket him to start in Erie next year, if not higher. I mean, it's a really advanced bat. I don't know how many of your listeners have seen him hit, but it's a really relaxed stance. It just looks like the guy looks supremely comfortable in the box and yet still hits rockets to all fields. Uh, the only question mark for me is, is he a center fielder? And that's why I prefer Dylan Cruz a little bit more myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, I think Dylan Cruz is a better overall hitter, but Langford has the better power, uh, and it's going to play really quick. He could be in the majors maybe by the end of next year even. Um, so if you're the Tigers and you're looking at like, hey, let's get major league talent to the bigs as quickly as we can – and Langford's available there. He has the highest ceiling of anybody outside those two big LSU guys. Absolutely. And just a couple of spots later at number five, rounding out the top five, you got the Minnesota Twins, who are obviously the MLB team for the Cedar Rapids Colonels, who are playing good ball right now. So the Minnesota Twins, obviously, who jumped really high in the draft lottery. I think they jumped from like 13 to five in the draft lottery. Um, but looking, I think they need some bats. I think they're looking to add some bats. And who are some guys you may think differently, but what do you think the Twins are looking at at number five? Yeah, the Twins are kind of in that interesting spot too, right? Because when I was saying there is a clear-cut big five here in this draft class, they're at number five. So one of the big five is going to be available to them, and it might be multiple. Some of these other teams might surprise and go outside the big five. So I think most likely – is that one of the two high school guys are going to fall to them. That's either Walker Jenkins out of North Carolina or Max Clark, which fits into what you were talking about in terms of needing bats. They're both a little bit different. They're both outfielders, so that kind of works. Max Clark is a little bit more athletic. I think Walker Jenkins is a better hitter. Uh, we gave him a 60 grade for his hit tool on the 2080 scale. We gave him 60 power, so both are comfortably plus. Uh, I think they would be happy if either one lands to them. It's just who is it going to be? The Rangers sit at four. Uh, the Rangers are in a good position right now. They don't need to draft somebody who's going to be Major League ready right away. They can kind of take the slower road, I think, because of how good the Major League team is. So I think it's whoever lands to them between Clark and Jenkins, the Twins would eat up. Um, I prefer Jenkins myself just because of the ability to hit, but I think Clark is a little bit more well-rounded. Either way, they'll get a, a promising guy. And if you're looking at somebody who could reach high A or when will they get to the Midwest League, both guys are pretty advanced. I still don't think it's going to happen until the second half of 2024, but they could move quickly. I mean, they are certainly skilled. 
I got you there. Yeah, and, and just a few spots later, this is a this is an MLB team that is playing a little bit better ball than I think a lot of people anticipated. Um, they got one of the most electrifying players, up and coming prospects in the entire MLB, and you got the Cincinnati Reds at number seven, just a few spots later. I think they go pitcher right here. There's a lot of guys towards um, the bottom of the top ten that you know. You got Noble Meyer, the high schooler. Um, you also got Rhett Louder out of, I think, Wake Forest, at, at looking at him at number seven. But the Cincinnati Reds, interesting position. And obviously the Cincinnati Reds are the MLB team for the Dayton Dragons in the Midwest League. What do you think the Reds could be looking at at number seven? Yeah, the Reds kind of are in that really interesting spot for me. You mentioned how good the Major League team has been this year, and that's because of their rookie contributions. I mean, they are definitely turning a corner to a place where just last year, they were trading Luis Castillo. They were rebuilding the farm system. Now that's the, the that rebuild is producing major league fruit in a very big way between Ellie De La Cruz and Matt McClain. So I don't think there's this pressure of, like, we need to hit on this pick. This pick needs to be the next guy. Mm-hmm. I think they can go a slower road. So if, if a Noble Meyer, who's the best high school arm in this class, is available to them, I think they would have to at least consider it. Um, in our latest mock, you met, mentioned Rhett Louder being there. Uh, he's number six in our top 250. If they get him, he could certainly move quickly as a guy coming out of Wake, a big program. Wake ranked number one in the country for much of the season this year. Didn't quite work out towards the tail end. Uh, if they want a little bit more of a project, but somebody with really high ceiling, Chase Dollander, a lot of people thought he was the number one pitching prospect coming into the year, and then Paul Skeens raced past him because he was inconsistent. But he has the plus-plus fastball. He's got the plus slider. He's got a really good changeup. All the makings are there for him. Maybe the Reds think they can fix him because the control seemed to waver, especially this year. That's something you can fix. The raw stuff is there. So there's certainly arms. I think if you look at the red system, and not that necessarily I advocate for drafting based on need. I think you draft just the best player available. You'll figure it out later. Right. We're seeing the Orioles go through that now. Like They drafted position player after position player after position player. And now they have a great farm system, and it's becoming a problem at the major league level in the best possible way. Uh, but if you look at this area, I do think it's arms that they could potentially be focusing on. And, you know, if you look at the red system right now. Andrew Abbott's up. That's great. That's worked out really well. They are a little bit deficient in terms of pitching. They are definitely ahead in bats, a little bit lighter on arms. So adding somebody like Louder to that mix, if he's available to them at seven, would be he'd become their number one pitching prospect, I think, pretty quick. I love it. We seem to pretty much agree there. And I think a team that is kind of in a similar position, but I think could use, I mean, almost anything across the board. Um, you got the Kansas City Royals, uh, you know, drafting one spot after the Cincinnati Reds. And of course, the the Kansas City Royals, I think, have, I, I would argue, a better farm system for lineup. But again, as you said, you know, you're looking more to think about that later. You're drafting the best player available. But the Quad City River Bandits, who are the Kansas City's high A Midwest League team, um, kind of struggling in the second half of the season right now. I think um, this pick would definitely benefit for adding a guy to that team to help bolster uh, this team a little bit. But what do you think the Royals are looking at at number eight? Yeah, I think the Royals are kind of actually in a tough spot there because that's where it starts to fall apart a little bit. I mean, maybe they could go arm. You look at their system right now. Frank Mazzucato, who actually just joined Quad Cities, I think he's debuting tonight actually, uh, is a really good pitcher, got a really good curveball. Uh, ben Kuderna, who's from that same draft a few years ago, uh, has some promise but still hasn't gotten beyond single A. But this Royal system, I mean, we just updated our top 100. Gavin Cross was in it at one point. He was their first-round pick last year and has dropped out. He's striking out 
more than we expected him to. He's hitting for some power, but has really struggled to hit the ground running and stay consistent in the Midwest League. So this is the system that if I were them, I would aim for ceiling. Add somebody who can be a potential superstar because they just don't have that in the system right now. Now, who is mm-hmm. who is that as they look at their system? You know, the, the Royals have had some real problems recently developing pitching. Now they have a new pitching development system going right now. They brought in some new coaches. You're seeing like Mazzucato take that next step. Somebody like Alec Marsh has been pretty good this year. Um, maybe they go pitcher just to try to fill that hole and try to get another pitching development win. I don't think there's going to necessarily be one of these high-level bats for them. I would kind of like them to take Arjun Namala uh, out of Florida, the, the Florida ah. shortstop, if he's available to them, uh, just because he is that guy with ceiling. He's a guy who already shows really good power. He's only 17 years old, which is always going to be a boon for the draft. Like there's plenty of development road ahead of him. You can create him, not create him, but you can mold him how you want for years to come. And the piece is already there. He has maybe that superstar level that we're looking at in that range where the, the Royals are drafting. I haven't heard anything that says like that, who that's who they take in our latest mock. Jim Callis had Blake Mitchell, a catcher out of Texas. Um, just somebody who, you know, could be that I know Carter Jensen is somebody they wanted mm-hmm. to be that guy. It hasn't quite worked out that way. Blake Mitchell has above average hit, above average power, a really strong throwing arm. Some questions about defensive ability. But if I were them, I would I would aim for high ceiling. If Namal is there, that's who I would go with. But uh, we'll see what the Royals need. But they need to win this first round pick. They can't go through another Gavin Cross and draft a guy only to see his stock drop pretty quick. Yeah, and I seen one of the mocks that Namala actually were, was sent to go to the Miami Marlins at number ten, which I I actually love that. I think Namala going to the Royals would be a little bit of a reach, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think there's like a ton of different high school shortstops that could be drafted in the first round, so it wouldn't shock me. Um, but at number ten, yeah. you got the Miami Marlins, who are also in an interesting position. The Midwest League team for the Miami Marlins is the Beloit Skycarp, and they're a team that I think. Um, is hitting the ground running, playing great ball right now, by the way. Shout out to them, Midwest League. But looking at the Miami Marlins farm system, I think they're another team that needs some middle infield, whether it's a shortstop or second baseman. I think they go one of those routes um, at number 10. But what do you think the Miami Marlins are looking at to round out the top 10? Yeah, I mean, the the Marlins are actually kind of in a similar position to the Royals. You look at their first-round pick from last year, Jacob Berry, who was – all hit tool. I mean, he was yep. somebody who we thought would really, really hit and just has not done that whatsoever uh, at the pro level, which has been really unfortunate because, again, somebody who had a long history of hitting in college hasn't worked out that way. And you look at who's at the top of their system, it's Max Meyer, who's a guy who's coming off Tommy John surgery, Jake Eater, who's coming off Tommy John surgery, Dax Fulton, who's had some issues. So even the pitching it's heavier on pitching at the top, but even those guys have some real health issues. So I think they're kind of wide open, the Marlins are right now, and it's not as deep a system as it once was. They just graduated Yuri Perez. Once you do that, you lose a pretty big name at the top of your system. So maybe there's somebody who considers like a Meyer at that top, or if they're looking at position players like you were talking about, Namalo would be a great story. He's a Florida guy, committed to Florida State, could stay home. I, I know mm-hmm. – Miami loves telling stories like that, uh, you know, going back to like the days of Jose Fernandez, drafting him, letting him become a star in that system. I'm not putting them on the same track there, but like, you know, there's something to that for sure. Drafting a, a guy close by. Uh, one guy I'm kind of fascinated by is Matt Shaw, 
uh, the shortstop uh, Maryland. out of Maryland, who could be an option. For, yeah, a solid runner, plus grades on that, has better power than you would think for somebody who's five foot eleven, uh, above average hit tool, has kind of all the pieces. Is he going to stick it short? We'll kind of see moving forward. He can play some third. He can play some second. He can even play some outfield, depending on you know where they want to fit him in there. But the bat is going to play. The run tool is going to play. He would probably pretty quickly become their best position player prospect. That might be true no matter who they draft there, but I think Shaw would be an interesting one to, to follow for the Marlins. See, I like that. I like that. And I like it because I had Shaw. I, I only do like the top 15 teams in a mock because like after that, it's just, I leave it to you guys. <laughs> um, but <laughs> I actually had no Matt Shaw, yeah. the Maryland shortstop going number 13 to the Chicago Cubs. And I think he is a guy that which the Cubs, I think are looking for bats Definitely in the farm system, guys. They're still rebuilding, which they're playing good ball right now. The pitching is obviously solid. A couple all-stars there. I think they could still use some bats, a young bat, a young star to add. And I think Matt Shaw would fill that mode. But, of course, if you got him if you got him going before that, obviously that, that changes things. But the Chicago Cubs, obviously the MLB team for the South Bend Cubs, obviously. Um, what do you think the Cubs are looking at at number 13? Yeah, so according to Jim, uh, they seem to be – higher on high school bats right now that that might just ah. be their preference as a group and who knows like maybe if Matt Shaw is sitting there and the mall is off the board uh, some of these other options are off the board they go elsewhere I think that's that could be a perfect spot for Namala if he falls that that low I mean we have him at number 11 in our top 250 the Cubs at number 13 it's certainly within reach there um, you look at some of the other names Hauk Colin Houck, who is number 12, right behind him, a Georgia shortstop, uh, six foot two, a little bit tall for the position, but we're living in the age of tall shortstops, right? Another guy with above average power, really strong throwing arm that could he keep him at shortstop. Uh, you know, do you look at the Cubs system right now? And I know it hasn't been a great year at the top level, but there are some names to know for sure. Pete Crow Armstrong being a supremely athletic outfielder. Kay Horton, their first round pick last year, has zoomed up the system pretty good. Ben Brown, who they acquired from the Phillies. So they, they are pretty diverse at the top. They don't have necessarily a need to mm-hmm. fill something. It just seems like they are preferring one of those prep bats. So if you, if somebody like Hauk or Namala is there for them, it seems like that's the way they're leaning. But, again, who knows who's going to fall? If somebody falls, like a Kyle Teal, maybe one of the from the, the University of Virginia catcher, who a lot of people think is a top-10 talent, maybe they go that way just because he's too good to pass up. Yeah, and I gotta send a special apology both to you and the Lansing Lugnuts right now because I completely there's a lot of teams to cover here. So first <laughs> of all, I want to apologize to you, Sam, and thank you also for helping us cover all these teams. But I missed number six, man. Number six, we got we had the Oakland Athletics, which is a team that is in absolute dismay right now. Don't even think they're gonna be in Oakland over the next couple of years. So they're in a obviously complete rebuild, which a lot of people would argue they always are because that's just how they're built. <laughs> Um, but the Oakland Athletics at number six, obviously things are all wide open for them as it's after the top two. So anything could happen and it's out of the top five, which is where things can get a little dicey and a little bit random. But what do you think the Athletics are looking at for number six? Yeah, I mean, if I'm the A's and I I forgive you for forgetting about them in terms of Lansing. When I think of Lansing, I still think of the Toronto Blue Jays. Thank you. Uh, that's yes. still taking me a little bit. <laughs> so I, when you said that, I was like, oh, yeah, the A's in Lansing. Uh, I, I, I apologize to the people of Lansing for still thinking that way. Uh, but, yeah, the, the A's are – they could be in, a, in an advantageous spot 
or they could be in a really tough spot because if any of those big five drop out of the top five spots, they should jump on them immediately. I mean, the A's are a team that needs as much talent as they can get. It needs to be aiming for ceiling. Uh, but if all of those guys get scooped up, then they have kind of the pick of the litter after that, and it's a pretty steep drop for me. Uh, Jim Callison, our latest mock, had Braden Taylor, the third baseman, out of Texas Christian. It seems like they're leading college no matter what. I w- would wonder if they would go after a Kyle Teal uh, at catcher. Mm-hmm. Above average hitter from the left side, really strong throwing arm. I know they have Tyler Soderstrom, who's now in AAA. Um, I know they have Shea Langoliers at the top level. You know, there's a reason why they traded Sean Murphy. But Soderstrom, I think, is a first baseman long term. And, you know, having a good catching tandem, the Dodgers have done this for years now, isn't the worst thing in the world. So if you have Teal and Langoliers together, that's a pretty strong foundation. And, and again, aim for the best player. That's what the A's should be doing here. Um, So if it were me and you're looking at a college bat, Teal is the best option uh, because of that well-rounded ability behind the plate, and that's difficult to find. Uh, He would be a nice complement to Langoliers, I think, and having uh, Soderstrom at first base. I think that that would work out well. So that's the way I would go. Um, But, yeah, maybe they get lucky. Maybe somebody like Walker Jenkins falls out of the top five and they can scoop him up because that's absolutely what they should should do if he's there for them. And at number 18, continuing our coverage of the Midwest League, looking at the MLB draft, you know, at number 18, you got the Milwaukee Brewers, who are the MLB team for the Wisconsin Timber Rattlers. That makes a little bit more sense. (laughs) Uh, But looking (laughs) at their spot at number 18 now, I I believe if they draft – I think it's a, another college guy. I think this would be four straight drafts that they took a college bat in the first round. So do they do they keep the streak going? It seems like they will. I mean, that's they're just a, a team that is a little bit more model-based than some of these other teams. A lot of teams rely heavily on scouts. The Brewers have a crew of analysts who are digging through all this kind of stuff, and it's so much easier to have a model for college. So I think that's why they prefer that. One name I will throw out there that I think could really be interesting if you are a more model-based organization like the Brewers are is Nolan Shanuel of Florida Atlantic. This guy Mm. put up insane numbers this year. Uh, I think he had like 71 walks, only 14 strikeouts. It was insanely good. Now he's a first baseman. He's not – he can play the outfield. I would just stick him at first base. Uh, It's hit over power, which is a little bit different profile than you would expect. But he's still – hit the ball really hard at Florida Atlantic. Uh, I'm sure they can plug him in really quickly. And, again, that just goes back to their preference of, like, go get a college performer. Now, in our latest mock, we have Jacob Wilson, son of Jack Wilson, going there as well, another really good college performer. And if you prefer a guy who can play in the middle of the diamond, Jacob Wilson's a shortstop. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, he's going to be more athletic than Nathaniel is. But – if Wilson's not available and some of these other college bats aren't there, I think Nolan Shanuel to the Brewers makes a ton of sense as a, a team that just loves drafting guys who perform. So we only got a few teams left. I mean, we're making our way through the Midwest League and covering you know the MLB teams that are drafting in the first round. So we're moving now to number 21. I mean, we've got the St. Louis Cardinals where, I mean, a, a, the Major League team is an extreme disappointment. I don't know what is going on there. Um, definitely not reaching expectations that a lot of people had for them coming into this year. But looking down in the minor leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals, Peoria Chiefs are rolling and currently in the second half leading the Midwest League West. 
and playing great ball right now. But you look at them at slot at number 21. Um, I think they're in an interesting position. I think they're, their farm system, at least, I think they're looking bad here. Um, obviously, it all depends on who's available. Um, but I think uh, I think we see a college bat at, here at number 21. I think the Cardinals are needing a guy that they think can step in and play as soon as possible. Um, and I think at number 21, you look at guys, um, I know like a Tommy Troy, a shortstop, a middle infielder, or a guy that could play multiple positions, like um, the guy from Florida Atlantic that you talked about a little while ago. I know he's been talked about that can play multiple positions, but the Cardinals at number 21, what do you think they're looking at? Yeah, I mean, I think Tommy Troy is definitely right in the heart of that conversation, if he's available to them. I mean, at number 21, we have him ranked 17th. So that would be him sliding a little bit uh, as a Stanford bat. It's kind of just an average profile across the board, but the Cardinals generally seem to squeeze a little bit more out of guys who are just seem like average and, and keep them that way. I mean, having mm-hmm. just an average shortstop is a valuable position, right? Like that's having somebody who can do that is, is special. And I, I would love to see them draft Troy and then have to figure out him and Mason win. Like who's going to be your future yeah. shortstop. That would be a fun battle. I would lean toward win, obviously somebody who has already been at triple a, but that would be a fun discussion. Uh, one I'll throw out there as again, a college bat, that I think could be right in their wheelhouses. Enrique Bradfield Jr., uh, outfielder from Vanderbilt, maybe the fastest guy in this draft. I mean, we gave him an 80 grade on his speed on the 28-8 scale. He can really field his position too. And the Cardinals have shown an ability to develop those guys. They took Victor Scott the second last year. Uh, he's another 80 grade guy. He's been leading the minors in steals for much of the year. I think he just got promoted to Double A Springfield. He's going to be going to the Futures game. Um, so somebody you guys have seen a ton of in the Midwest League. They they know how to make the most of speed. They're giving guys green lights if they have it. Bradfield would just have a constant green light in that Cardinal system. So I'd be interested to see if they take a supremely athletic guy like him and, and plug him in. He doesn't have much power. That's why he's in this range. But they know how to develop those guys, so he would seem to fit their profile pretty well. I think we got three teams left to cover here. So number 23, got the Cleveland Guardians, a definitely – young up-and-coming team that I am really enjoying, um, playing some good ball right now. And then at the minor league level, obviously, got the Lake County captains who aren't playing the greatest ball right now here, at least in the second half, um, three and seven in the last 10. But a team in the Guardians that I think is trying to get a little bit younger. I think they're going to look high school here. Um, Don't know what high school guys are going to be available. As I said earlier, definitely a big middle infield prospect-heavy high school draft especially in the first round when it comes to that round. But Cleveland Guardians could go multiple different routes here. But what do you think Cleveland does at number 23? Yeah, I mean, normally for Cleveland, I would say, like, their model has always been just find a pitcher with really, really good control and just add velocity. I mean, they've done that. That's the Shane Bieber model, right? Like, we've we've seen it with Tanner Bybee and and Logan Allen, guys who have been called up this Mm -hmm. year. I mean, they, they just follow that model to a T. It just doesn't seem like that type of player is available to them here necessarily. I mean, I'd be interested to see if they would consider somebody like Thomas White out of Massachusetts, but he's not necessarily a big control guy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would love to see them develop him because they develop pitchers extremely well. So take him to the next level. What would that look like? He slipped a little bit because uh, he struggled, I think, in his last start for Phillips Academy. And, and that was tough because there were so many scouts there to see him. But overall, he's always stood out on the showcase circuit, has a good fastball, has a good curveball. 
decent control, not the 55-60 that they normally draft. So maybe if you're looking at that here for them, um, somebody, again, going back to the college route and going back to Wake Forest, Brock Wilkins, because one thing that the, the Guardians system right now lacks is power. I mean, they seem to develop guys really well in terms of mm-hmm. getting their hit tools, Stephen Kwan being the A-plus A example of that. They need somebody who can show a power bat. This is a guy who finished second in Division One this year with 31 homers um, and has the ACC record for home runs during his NCAA career with 71. So he would become their best power bat pretty quick. He would fill a hole. Again, don't draft just to fill a hole, but like right. the Guardians haven't shown the ability to draft these guys. I would be really interested to see what they can do with a Brock Volk and can they improve his hit tool? So now all of a sudden he's not just a power guy. He's a guy who can hit a little bit too and still have that really good ability to generate exit velocities. That would be fascinating to me. Um, but, you know, the Guardians are in a spot right now where I think they have plenty of bats and they develop arms pretty well. They just need to turn that into major league talent. Uh, so they can take a little bit more of a project here at 23. I love it. I mean, and we got two teams left to cover, and they just so happen to be the two hottest teams right now in the Midwest League East in the second half. And we'll, first we'll look at number 25. This is my hometown team. Uh, we're looking at the San Diego Padres, but in the Midwest League, my hometown team, Fort Wayne 10 Caps, who are at the top of the division right now, 7-3 and three in the last 10 in our four-game winning streak as we record today. So San Diego, a team that is basically trying to re- trying to revamp their farm system since they traded them all to get all the top stars that they have right now. So they're all over the place. Pretty much best player available is what I think they'll do. What are the, what do you think they do at 25? Yeah. I mean, the, the interesting thing for me is the Padres have always shown a willingness to take risk in the draft. If they think a guy is talented and there might be some other bugaboos there, but if he's like the best available, we saw this last year with Dylan Lesko, who had maybe the best changeup in the draft, but was coming off Tom and John surgery. He's slowly coming back now. I don't think he's going to see Fort Wayne this year, but certainly an option for him next year. Uh, they weren't afraid to take him. Like, take the, the best man available. So maybe that's a Bradfield if he slips that far. He was taken at 25 in our latest mock. I think this could be a spot for White. Maybe, you know, everybody else is looking too much into one bad start at the end of his spring. Uh, but when you look at the Padres, who are willing to take risks and say, hey, we've seen this guy really well otherwise, why would we let him slip if we think he's the best pitcher available? Uh, that would be really interesting. So you take those guys who have supremely high ceilings in a white, in a Bradfield. Uh, I think those are some big options there. I, I would expect the Padres to take a big swing. Maybe somebody drops out of the top 15 somehow. I mean, that happens every year, right? Like somebody yeah. keeps slipping in, in a way that we don't quite understand. I think the Padres would be the floor for whoever that might be, and I can't predict who that's going to be, um, but I, I would expect the Padres for us to come away with it and be like, you know, they got somebody here who we didn't expect, and they were willing to take the guy, give him probably over slot, if, if that's what it comes to, to add that big talent. Because like you said, they depleted their farm system last year for that Juan Soto trade. Now Jackson Merrill's having a good year. Lesko's coming back healthy. Uh, Robbie Snelling, who just joined – high A Fort Wayne, is now a top 100 prospect. Ethan Silas, you know, was a big international addition. The farm system's a little bit better than I think people give them credit for. Yeah. But they still need to be taking big swings. They can't be affording to, to aim for singles around this uh, area of the draft. Absolutely. I mean, well said, well said. And I was I was just poking a little fun since I, that's how we joke in Fort Wayne that, the, that all the prospects – 
over the last couple of years have been traded and now we're we're trying to rebuild <laughs> yeah i mean you know that's but when you get the chance to see jackson merrill every night and that's the guy they chose to keep around i mean that's that's always been a big sign to me is like who did they not trade away i'm sure they would love to have james wood back uh, if they could but the fact that they kept Jackson Merrill around every time I talk to somebody in the Padres organization, they can't say enough good things about that guy. So there's some still some pieces still there. Couldn't have said it better myself. Definitely playing some great ball right now. And finally, to wrap up our co- coverage of the Midwest League and the MLB draft, we got to talk about none other than the Los Angeles Dodgers and, of course, their Midwest League team, Great Lakes Loans. So we look at the Dodgers, number 36, um, which is their pick that they got, and Another team that I think is, you know, trying to bolster more young up and coming guys. This is a team that I think is, you know, getting on the older end towards some of their best players. So they're trying to build some of the next up guys. Um, I think they go pitcher here no matter what. Um, I think they're trying to bolster either their rotation, their starting rotation or a little bit of the bullpen. Um, I think the Dodgers are looking at pitcher here. But what do you think their options are at number 36? Yeah, I mean, it, it's kind of tough to start out that low, right? to start out outside the top 30. I mean, the the Dodgers have the lowest first pick yeah. in this draft, even lower than the Mets, who are at 32. Uh, so trying to predict exactly who's going to be available to them is, is going to be really tough. If you look at the Dodgers system right now, uh, it's it's pretty top-heavy. And that, by that, I mean most of their really, really good guys are at the upper levels. I think Dalton Rushing is maybe their best guy at below double A. Uh, but outside of that, you have to go all the way to number 11 to find somebody at the single A level. So the Dodgers are always in competition mode. They're somebody who can afford to take on a long-term project, I think, because of how much talent is knocking on the door of the major leagues and the way they fill holes Mm -hmm. with money. They might be going out to Shohei Otani this offseason. We'll see. I think anything is on the table for them. Uh, What I'm going to be more fascinated to see is, like, who who they select and how he plugs into their player development system. Because Dalton Rushing was not a first-round pick last year, and now he's a top 100 guy. They seem to draw out the best skills and identify that and raise the level of everybody in their organization. I implore anybody to look at their double-A Tulsa rotation right now. It's the best in minor league baseball. It's been really, really good. Guys like Nick Frasso and River Ryan and uh, on down the line. They develop guys really, really well. So it's difficult for me this is all me kind of talking around of like trying to say who they're going to pick at 36 is going to be interesting. And I can't do it right now. Cause it's just, there's so many possibilities for them. Who's going to drop the name I'll throw out because Jim had him in the, the mock was Johnny Farmello an outfielder out of Virginia. Uh, he's the 39th prospect in our list. Uh, again, somebody who is going to be a little bit of a project cause he's a high school bat, mm-hmm. uh, a good runner fifties across the board elsewhere. Maybe he's somebody they can elevate. Uh, but I'm going to be more fascinated to see who they take and why they took him. Is there something they've identified in him, or is he just a solid all-around player like a Farmelo, and they just know, hey, we're going to make sure you reach your ceiling because that's what the Dodgers do. They do it better than none other. Sam Dykstra, MLB.com, joining us here, of course, covering the MLB draft. I know you're going to be busy, man, so I appreciate you for coming on and making time for us today, helping us cover the Midwest League. I know you got a busy, busy schedule, but keep doing what you're doing, man. We look forward to checking out your podcast and all the work that you put out covering the draft. Go ahead and tell everyone where they can find your work on Twitter as long as they allow us to still tweet. Um, Tell everybody (laughs) where they can follow your work. 
Yeah, so I'm on Twitter, again, as long as Elon Musk will allow me to be there, uh, <laughs> at Sam Dykstra, M-I-L-B. Uh, I'm also, you know, like we talked about earlier, the show before the show comes out every Friday in your podcast feed, so check us out there. And as always, my work is on MLB.com slash pipeline and MILB.com. So check in there. We're always covering the minor leagues day to day. And like, like DC said, this is a very busy time of the year, but an exciting time of the year between the futures game coming up and the draft and the trade deadline at the end of the month. And we're going to be updating our top 30s in August. So keep and peeled for all that fun stuff. Enjoy it. Enjoy that sunshine out in Arizona, man. Take care and thanks for coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. And Seattle. <laughs> yeah, thanks for reaching out anytime. I'll talk to you soon. As always, thank you so much for tuning in to the Midwest Swing Podcast. I am your host, DC Hendricks. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on Apple, Google Play, Spotify, everywhere podcasts are available. Make us one of your favorites to keep up with everything that we got, all things Midwest League. We love baseball. We love it all. And that's why we are covering it right here on this podcast. So go ahead and subscribe. Follow us on social media, Midwest Swing Pod. And I am at DC Hendricks and official DC Hendricks on Instagram. Just search and you will find. Until next time, everybody, peace and love.